Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this opportunity to study it, to learn from it, to be taught and corrected, rebuked, encouraged by it. Father, be with us this morning. Work mightily through it. Help me, your servant. Grant me grace that I might speak your words to your people. Minister through me to them for your namesake, for your glory, for your kingdom, so that Jesus would be exalted. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I have been enjoying the Olympics lately. I'm an Olympics guy. I love to watch that kind of stuff. And, you know, you watch all these weird events that you'd never watch ever any other time, and you don't even know why you're watching them sometimes. <laughs> you'd never watch them any other time. But one event I really like is, are the freestyle skiing, the aerials. And the skier, it's, it's quite amazing. You've got this massive jump. I mean, it's like a 50-foot jump. They shoot some 50 feet in the air or something like that. It's, just, it's pretty crazy. And they, they go up to, they approach this jump all calmly, straight as an arrow. And, they, and as they head down towards it, they, they just get launched way up in the air. And then when in the air, they flip and they twist and they flip some more and they twist some more and they keep on flipping and they keep on twisting. And next thing you know, somehow they're supposed to know where they're at. And most of the, well, actually, last night, it wasn't even most of the time, they land on their skis. And, and, and then, and then they, when they land on their skis, they're really pumped. I mean, they jam their arms in the air, and they're, they're excited that they, they completed it. And I thought, you know, you have to, when I was watching it last night, I thought, this is a good analogy for what it is we're going to be looking at this morning. Because in so, in, in so many ways, these people have utter, they have to have faith belief. They've got to believe that they can actually accomplish this because I, you would never even approach this thing. I don't even know how you actually build up toward it. You start with a you know, two-foot ramp, three-foot ramp, four-foot. I mean, how do you get up to the point where you're launching off of this 30-foot jump, skyrocketing in the air 50 feet and flipping around and landing on the slope? I mean, the slope that they land on is incredibly steep. It's just, it takes a lot to get there. And so they obviously build up toward it. And they have to, truly, they have to believe that they're they're capable of doing this so they don't land on their heads and kill themselves. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an utter faith they have in what they're able to do and accomplish. And then when they execute it, they execute it with everything is in them. And then when they're done, they're completed, they're full of this ecstatic joy and relief and pleasure. And I thought, you know, this is what we're going to look at this morning in this text is really what happens when we believe and trust God like that moving forward. And when we go sometimes... Uh, trusting him and following him, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. But it's, but it's filled with joy, and it's filled with song at the end of it. And this is pretty much what we see with Mary. Mary is this incredible young, young lady full of faith. And that's what we see right out of the gate here in verse 39. Actually, it starts a little earlier, because what we looked at last week, we looked at at how Mary gets this word from the angel Gabriel and how amazing it is what she's being told about the Messiah. And then in verse 38, she says this, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
And then it says in verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. You know, what is remarkable about Mary is her belief in what the angel Gabriel said. Really. When Gabriel finished telling her what was going to happen, she didn't act like a typical teenager and begin arguing with him. Did she? She responds in a pretty amazing way. If you, if you, if you look even at verse 34, back up a little bit earlier, angel finished telling her that she's going to have the Messiah. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Well, we need to notice something about this passage because often it, it, could be, it could almost seem like she does have some doubt. It's, it seems a little bit similar to what Zechariah said, right? Up in verse 18, we, well, listen, listen to Zechariah's response in verse 18. After he was told that he was going to have a son, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old man, and my wife has advanced in years. Similar, but different. Quite different. And it's, in, it's a little bit of a nuance here. Zechariah asked the question, how shall I know this? In other words, how can you prove this to me? How do I know? How can I have some confidence? Can you give me a sign? And he says, and he says the reason I'm asking for this, I really need some assurance of this, that what you're saying is true, is because I'm old and advanced in years, and having a baby is just not going to happen right now. Well, the same miracle is being, well, similar miracle is being spoken to Mary But if we go back to look at her response in verse 34, she just asks, basically, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she's not not asking for a sign at all. She's not saying, you know, could you you give me something? And then the angel Gabriel disciplines her like he did discipline Zechariah and says, okay, yeah, you're not going to speak for a while. No, she just asks a procedure question, not a proving question. She's not asking for proof. She's asking for, how's this going to (laughs) work? Okay, how's it going to work since I'm a virgin? I believe you. It's just, I don't know exactly. I want to know kind of procedurally how this is going to take place. And we clearly see her faith expressed. We know that she's believing because what she says in verse 38 again. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, these words here, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me. So what she's saying there, she was in essence saying, I submit fully to your words of promise. As I am a servant, I am your servant, servant of the Lord. I receive them as if they are done. Let it be to me. She's expressing her faith. And then what does she do? After she declares that may it be so, he tells her that what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to hover upon you or come over you and you're going to, he's going to make you pregnant. And she, let it be to me. And then we look at her response in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to see her relative Elizabeth. Why did she do that? Because Gabriel had just finished telling her that your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant with child. She doesn't doubt it at all. She gets up with haste and takes off, like Usain Bolt, heading towards uh, the upper lands of the hill country of Judea to see her her, uh, relative Elizabeth. And why? Because she believes the promise of God. 
Here's something else that we know for certain, that Mary is a, is a young lady filled with faith. Elizabeth, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see shortly here, responds and says this about Mary in verse 45. And she, and blessed is she, she's talking about these blessings, this blessed girl, Mary. Blessed is she who, what does it say, verse 45? Who believed who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she. Mary is a blessed lady. And why? Because she believed the Lord. She believed His promise. And it was a crazy promise. It was a promise in the midst of a possibility. How is it possible? She's not not questioning whether or not it's going to happen, but how is this going to happen? And then he tells her how it's going to happen. You're going to, the Spirit is going to come and overshadow you and make you pregnant. It's, you're going to be made pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you look at this young girl, and as I study this, I marvel at this young girl, Mary. Her faith astounds me, really. She is just believing God's promises with absolute certainty. And we know for a fact this is the thing that pleases God the most. Because apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, 23, it says that anything not done in faith is sin. So we know that not believing, not trusting, is counted by God as sin. And the only way to please God is to believe and lay hold of His promises. That's what delights him. And we know that often his promises come in the midst of impossibility. We have to stare in the face sometimes of impossibility. And it messes with our minds, doesn't it? I tell you what, it, it just doesn't, all, it doesn't always make sense. Promises are so easy, so easy to believe when everything makes sense. It all just adds up. Yeah, this is great. It makes perfect sense to me. Here's the promise of God. Here's my wonderful life. Isn't God good? It's often, here's the promise of God. Here's my messed up life. Ooh, is God good? Is he good? Well, Mary, faith, Mary was given a promise in the midst of impossibility, and she believed it. And that pleases God. Believing that despite the circumstances, God is good. You know, we might even be tempted to give Mary some kind of a break. <laughs> tempted to think that God spoke to Mary in a special way through an angel Gabriel, so it's different. It's different for us. We don't have such privileges. But you know what? God speaks promises to us today just as clearly as he did to Mary back then. His word isn't unclear. He's clearly spoken through his word, hasn't he? And he's given us clear promises. Clear promises. His word promises things for every aspect of life. And what is our response to be? To believe. Just like Mary believed. Oh, to have faith like Mary. Oh, to believe God's promises just like she did. But you know what? Also, when we believe God, this is what we notice in this text next, is that when we believe God, 
You know what comes as a result of that? If you're believing and trusting in God, do you know what one of the fruits will be? Joy. Joy comes from believing God. That is the fruit. It's kind of like the proving ground of whether or not we believe him or not. And in particular, I want us to look at Mary's response, as I've already read in verse 39. The joy that Mary must have had. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She's going with haste, once again, which means she probably put on her Nike runners, got all excited, and took off for the hill country. That's what make haste means. She's making haste because she is going for it. She's excited. You only respond like this when you're excited. You don't take off like lightning because you're, you know, you're bummed out or you know, you're not really sure. You do it because she, must have, she believes, we know she believes God's promise. And she heard that Elizabeth was pregnant and she wants to go check this out. She wants to go see it. Joy was Mary's response to the news. And the reason why there's joy is because this is the fruit of faith. Faith produces joy. When we believe God's promises toward us, we have joy. Now you have to understand, there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing God's promises and believing God's promises. Huge. You probably heard the old adage, right? This is like, there's a long distance between here and here. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to believe. And that six to eight inches is a long ways. You could be sitting here this morning and know that the Bible says that you are forgiven, for example. The Bible says that in Christ, you are forgiven and accepted. If you are in Christ, you're forgiven and accepted. And yet you can still feel guilty and struggle with the idea of God accepting you. And why? Not because you haven't heard that before, right? You've heard it a lot. You know it. But because, here's the reason why, because you doubt the promise for some reason. You doubt it. You could also be in the midst of a terrible struggle. And you know that the Bible says that God will work all things out for good. You don't need to be told that. You know it. But you're racked with anxiety and fear because your circumstances seem to be impossible. The sin is not that you don't know, but that you don't believe. If you believe the truth, you will be set free. But if you simply keep it in your head, you will remain in bondage. (laughs) It, It can't just remain in our heads. But you know, sometimes here's the dilemma. We want to believe. We want to believe, but we just can't seem to let go of our doubt. The problem is, instead of rebuking or correcting or throwing out our doubt and telling ourselves how stupid and wrong it is to doubt God and His promises, we listen to the lying voices in our heads that present arguments of why we can't have these promises. We listen to the enemy tell us how it is we can't, why it is we can't believe, how it is that we're not good enough, how we're just the struggling type or how what we've done in the past disqualifies us. 
Are those some things that you hear in the voices in your heads at times? That seem to almost counter-argue God's promises? Because the thoughts come in, the voices are there. It just depends what kind of voices you listen to. Do you listen to those voices as they come in, or do you tell them to get out of here? Do you rebuke it and say, that's, that's ridiculous? Do you ever talk to yourself? You should. Maybe not out loud and helps the people around you. But you should, you should have conversations in your head because, believe me, you, you have got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And if you don't, lies will come in. And sometimes the voices in our head, we, we think they're so real because they're in our heads. And we believe them. And they dismantle our faith. Instead, we should be taking these thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and holding fast to what is true. That's a lie. Even, even in the midst of crazy circumstances, you know, the circumstances themselves, the enemy uses them to tell us lies. Oh yeah, God's so good, isn't he? Look at what he did to you. How could God be good? How could, how could he even love you at all when, when he's putting you through this? What should you do with those moments? Should you dwell on that? No. You should reject that outright. Call it what it is. That's a lie. I don't have to understand it. I don't know. I, I don't even... I don't know, but I know this for sure. God has promised, and he's with me. He'll never leave me, nor he'll forsake me. And I know that he's also promised that he works all things out for good. I know that. Do you have that kind of conversation in your head? You ought to. No, this is wrong. That's a lie. God is good. He has been faithful. He, I don't know how. I don't know how it's all going to work, but he is going to work it out for good. And I'm at, sometimes he just confronts you with impossibility and situations where it just doesn't make sense. And then the lies are so easy to believe, aren't they? Aren't they? Isn't it easy to kind of believe that lie when it's in the face of God's promise, but my circumstances seem to line up with a lie? What do you do? You rebuke the lie and you hold fast to the promise. And that's how we have to learn to live. We have to learn to fight the good fight of faith. That's fighting. That's the battle that you really have to do. The battle is in your mind. What kind of voices are you listening to? And here's the thing. Because when we do this battle and we, claim, we believe God's promises, we hold fast to them, and we fight the good fight of faith, joy is the fruit. Is your life filled with joy? Is joy coming out of your life despite your circumstances? You know the only way that can happen? Do you realize the only way that can happen in your life is if you're believing the promises of God, holding fast? You have to. You have to hold fast to the promise and reject everything else. And only then will you you have joy. It's a fruit of believing. You know what else happens? Not only do you have to believe God's promises, the fruit is joy, there's another fruit, and the fruit is presence. We look at Mary's presence and what happens. Mary's presence in verse 40 and following. Mary, so Mary shows up at Elizabeth's place and it says, verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my loom leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Wow. What an entry. What an entry. No one has ever had so much impact with their presence. Show up. Can you imagine? Showing up here. You show up, say hi. Everybody's filled with the Spirit. Babies in the womb start doing cartwheels. People start offering prophecies like, wow, I just showed up, said hi. What's going on? <laughs> you know what happened is Mary shows up, but it isn't Mary. If you notice what's going on here, Mary shows up and she has the Lord of creation in her womb. (laughs) It's just, it's because Jesus is in her. Jesus, who created heaven and earth, is in her womb. It's just like, wow. This is what she says. And this, look at verse 43. And why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord, my Lord, the King of Israel, why is it that the mother who's bearing the King of Israel, who'll sit on the throne of David, is in my house right now? How how could this be happening? Elizabeth is blown away. Because the presence of Jesus comes there, and with the presence of Jesus, she's filled with the Spirit, and she starts to prophesy, and it's revealed to her, and she understands things that she never could have understood any other way. She knows what's going on immediately, and she starts praising Mary. Throughout this here, do you notice that Elizabeth calls Mary blessed? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And in that particular culture, when someone who, who was blessed, they were someone who had God's special favor upon them. In other words, they are favored by God because he has given them something special. Something in particular that was special. In this case, what was Mary given? She's the mother of the Lord. She has Jesus in her. It's important for us to remember that this isn't Mary having this effect once again. Why is, it, why is Mary, her presence, having this effect? It's because Jesus resides in Mary. And do you realize that There's something about Christians in whom Jesus resides. When Jesus resides in a person, and there is faith, and there's joy from that faith, do you know what else there is? All kinds of competition this morning. We've got, there's joy that comes as a fruit of faith, but you know what else? Do you know what else is this incredible blessing that comes? There's this presence. presence, There's a presence that comes from those people who have Christ in them. If you were to look at Christians' lives, one thing you note about them is that they're kind of different. You know, 
I remember a while back talking about talking to to someone about they they were referring to their coworker at work, and they're talking to me how about how this coworker was making such an impact in their workplace, and the reason was being is because this guy had become a Christian, and. It, because of this, the people observing and watching and looking start to make con- uh, comments about how, how they're different, what's, what's going on in their lives, like what's, how they're talking different, how they're acting different, how they're thinking different. There's just a difference, and they're noticing it. And, of course, it doesn't always bring with it just delight. Wow, this is so great. It also brings with it sometimes people making fun, people making harsh comments, people saying things that are, are less than delightful. But here's one thing for certain. One thing for certain, it's noticed. Because when Jesus shows up and his presence is in our lives, it means that you now have presence. Presence in a way that impacts. Presence in a way that is noticed. Presence in a way that people around you see that something is different about you. And this is one of the things that Jesus does in our lives. He causes us to, and he changes us, and so that we think different, we act different, we speak different. And I don't know if that's even the testimony of your life. If you, know, if you notice at all how the world thinks and acts and talks and speaks, there should be a difference where Jesus comes in, all of a sudden you think, you act, and you talk differently. That has a presence about it, and people notice it, and they often make some kind of comment. Have people ever commented about your conduct for some reason? It's some, whether it, they don't even know exactly what it is, but there's something different about you. And hopefully, it's not because you're bad different. Because you truly are a weirdo. But hopefully, it's because when Jesus comes, he makes you different. Therefore, you have a different presence. And you have a different impact as a result. You know, here's, here's something I think that we all should, should know from our own testimony. Is that when we know Jesus, when we believe in his promises and joy comes out of our lives, it affects the presence we have among others. And it ought to. Because this is what Jesus does. He turns lives and he turns the world upside down. He brings life, he brings change, he brings resurrection, and guess what? People notice. And you know what else happens as a result of this? And throughout this passage, what we see is the fruit of faith. Mary believes, and then she has joy. And then she has this powerful presence, and then you know what she has after this? She has a song on her mouth. And this is what happens. This is what happens from faith. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And notice something here. As I read this, I want you to notice something. Notice the two kinds of people throughout, the humble and the proud. And notice what's said about them as I read this. For behold, 
sorry, for verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This whole song is a praise of God, a praise of his goodness and faithfulness in keeping his promise toward the humble and lowly and is bringing low the proud. She's exalting him for these very reasons. Mary, she knows, she knows herself, right? Mary's what? Mary is this poor young child. She has no title, no power, no reputation in, area, in Israel. She's a, she's a nobody. Not only that, she's this young little girl. And Mary's exalting because how is it that God has loved me like this and chose me? How is this possible? This song is a perfect revelation of all of us here who've experienced grace. And when I say that, this is what I mean. If you're a person who's experienced grace, you're a person who's absolutely convinced that you are a nobody and the worst of sinners and you can't believe that God would ever do it. These are the people, this is the way it always works in the world. And God does two things. He exalts the humble and he brings low the proud. And there's the only way up is down. If you're up here and you want to get over here, there's only one way to go. You've got to go down here first. You've got to get off your throne before you can ever approach God's throne. Because that's the way it works with him. It's for the lowly. The lowly experience grace. And you know their song has a familiar t- ring to it. Do you realize that the saints that sing, that sing with all their heart, believe in this. They believe that they are unworthy. That they are nobodies. That they're the worst of sinners. That they can't even believe that God would visit them. That God would somehow come to them. That God would forgive them. That God would give them grace. And they receive it. And their mouth is filled with a song of praise. Oh my God, how is it that you would look upon me? How is it that you would forgive me? How is it that you would choose me? How is it that you'd grant me faith? How is it that you'd forgive me? How is it? I just want to sing all day long because I can't believe it. Do you realize the arrogant and the proud? They can move their lips to songs. They can move their lips to songs. They can sing about God's grace. They can sing about God's mercy. They can sing. They can show up here. You could be here this morning and move your mouth, but your heart is far from there. You don't get it. You don't really understand it. You don't really realize it. It's just what you do, right? It's kind of what you do. We come here Sunday morning, and what do we do? We sing some songs. And then we do this, then we do that, then we hear some words, hear that babbler up front. You know, we, we pray and we go home and eat. That's the eat part I like. 
That's how it can be. And you know the difference? It isn't because everybody up here, man, they did a wonderful job. They sure, they sure did a great job. He, you know, he did a good job with the word. He did a good job with the music. And everybody just did such a great job that, you know, it, it was a wonderful experience. Is that you come here. The difference is that you come here, you walk through those doors, and you can't believe what it is God has done for you. So you sing with all your heart. You know, you've noticed in your life, when do the words jump off the page? When do you really want to sing? It's when your heart is full of the goodness of the Lord. And you understand what it is he's done for you and who you are in light of it. At that moment, you just want to sing. You want to sing. You want to have a skip in your step and you want to whistle. <laughs> you, want, you, you want to express it and it's not right until you do. Praising the Lord and having a song on our lips comes from knowing who we are and who God is and what he's done for us. Here we are. I can't believe it. Look what he's done. Why me, Lord? Why me? You know who I am. You know that I'm an idiot. You know that I'm a, I'm a nobody. You know that I have nothing, and yet why me? Because he's gracious and kind to, to those who would be in that place. And know what else he's good to do? If people are on their high horse, he's really good at knocking them off. He's really good at taking us and cutting our legs out, isn't he? Have you been here this morning? Have you kind of got exalted before? Have you started to raise yourself up and have a pretty high estimation of yourself? If you're the child of the Lord, you know what he's good at? Knocking you off there, finding yourself on your face, groveling. And now you're ready to receive. And you receive his grace and you come back here and you sing with joy. Because there's a new song in your heart. That God is kind and gracious. God is merciful. And only, only when we are in Mary's position where we have her faith... So as a result, we have her joy. As a result, we have her presence. And as a result, we have our song on our lips. That we, we, Only then, only when we have her faith, the beginning of all this, that we will start to have the life that she has, filling our hearts. Let me ask you this, a serious question now, this morning. Think about this. Let us wrestle with it. Where are you at this morning? Are you like Mary? Is your heart filled with faith? Is it filled with joy? Is it filled with a song? Or is your heart filled with doubt, gloom, and grumbling? What's it filled with? The problem is never with the promises of God because you've heard the promises. If you come here at all regularly, promises are declared to you. They're in your mouth. They're in your head. They're in your ears. They're all around you. The problem is with your heart. It's believing and laying fast, hold, laying hold to the promises of God. That's always the problem. The problem is always with our heart and believing. Now maybe you're used to quickly giving up and saying, yeah, Dean, I know, I know it's the problem is with my heart. And I want to believe with my heart, but I can't. God has to do it. 
So there, let's go. And you know what? You're all right and you're all wrong. And here's why. Because when you tell me that you want to believe, but have a hard time believing, you're simply saying that you do believe, but tend to listen more to the lying voices in your head than you do to the voice of God and his word. You've gotten used to losing the battle in your mind, as I was referring to earlier. And I say this because people who are unbelieving, truly unbelieving, they reject the promises outright, they dislike the promises, and they don't like to be told by God anything. They're full of themselves. But there are people who have the, they know the promises, they have the promises, and they say, they, I want to I hold on to them and believe them more fully. But really what those people's problem is, is that they're just not distro- rejecting the lies thoroughly enough. They're not speaking to themselves enough, not preaching to themselves enough, not, not affirming what is exact, absolutely true about the promises of God and holding fast to them and then rejecting the lies. Do you want your faith to be strengthened? Start saying to yourself, no, that's a lie. The truth is God is with me. God forgives me in Christ. I'm accepted in the beloved. The truth is, he's working all things out for my good. That's the truth. If you don't preach to yourself like that, the lying voices will win. And you're going to start to believe the lying voices of all the doubt. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you, you know, oh, God is against you. I don't think he likes you. I think he's, he's punishing you worse than anybody else. So he's just nothing but, he, he is mean, man. He's holding back from you. Oh, God... You, you list it out. You name it. Have you heard the voices before? What do you do with them? If you want to strengthen your faith, if you want to be like Mary, if you want to have joy, if you want to have fullness of life, if you want to have a song on your lips, if you want to have presence, what do you need to do? You need to hold fast to the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ and reject any other thought that would cause you to waver. You need to fight the good fight of faith. You need to become a soldier who knows, who learns, who has grown in the battle and understands what's going on. So that you can believe. And in believing, you receive the graces that flood your heart and mind. The grace of joy overflowing. The grace of presence amongst others. The grace of a song on your lips that you just can't help but sing. Be like Mary this morning. Believe. Hold fast to the promises. And reject those stupid lies. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the life of Mary and the blessing that she is. She truly was blessed, blessed by you. You granted her faith. You made her the mother of the Lord. You, Lord Jesus, come from her. And it was just, it's amazing to see the fruit of faith. Oh, Father, have mercy on all of us this morning. Fill our hearts full of faith, and may we fight the good fight of faith, holding fast to your promises, not wavering, knowing that you're faithful, you're good, And your word is sure and it will never, ever fail. 
Blessed be your name forever. Amen.